It's good to be with you. I've got so much I want to say today that uh, I might even beat Jez's 47-minute sermon. Okay, I really, just to give you advance warning, I have really got two sermons here. And uh, so I want to rattle through the first part and uh, try and do that as quickly as I can. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Okay, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brothers will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brothers will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now remember this, I guess Jez contextualized this last week. This is Jesus' words, okay? This is kind of life in his kingdom, what life could and should look like and will look like. And uh, this is his words to us, okay? Verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell." Some serious, serious words here that, uh, that often we can just read through and go, well, Jesus doesn't really want us to pull our eyes out and to really cut out our limbs, does he? It's not really a passage that we take, literally. There is serious implications in both of these, how we deal with our issues of the heart. Both of them are very much connected with issues of the heart. Okay? So we've got these two areas, one called anger and one called lust. Uh, it was relevant 2,000 years ago, and it is relevant now okay just as relevant now because i could ask for a question and for people to put their hands up who struggles with anger this is rhetorical okay and uh, and then i could ask the question who struggles with lust and it's not the sort of question we easily ask especially on a sunday morning it's not the sort of question we ask as an icebreaker in our life groups but it's the sort of questions that jesus was saying look anger and lust are some real big issues um at times i get really angry okay, uh, over the most ridiculous thing. I look back and I feel very embarrassed by it, but in order to save face, I don't quite know how to get out of it. And at times, I look at women or see images or catch stuff on television and look at it for too long, allowing my eyes to settle and my imagination to run free. One of the cultures that we want to be establishing and creating more and more within the life of the church is this one about being real. We just need to be real. I don't want us to be kind of sweeping things under the carpet as if this is, these are not issues and difficulties in our life. They are. They're a difficulty in my life. I assume that they're a difficulty in other people's lives as well. I, I sat down with a group of uh, King's Church leaders on Friday, a, a group, uh, about 13 of us in a room, and I gave out an anonymous questionnaire. I said, please can you just fill this in? Uh, I won't know who's filled it in. It's just by sheer coincidence that everyone has a different colour pen. But I have no idea who filled them in, actually, that was a joke, we didn't have different colour pens. 
And uh, I just asked a series of questions. Who struggles with anger? Who struggles uh, with pride? Who struggles with jealousy? Who struggles with pornography? Who struggles with masturbation? Who struggles with alcohol? Who struggles with overeating? And uh, I just said, there's just this sense of actually the, the importance of being real. Uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I thought it'd be interesting just in context of this talk that actually 69%, over two thirds of the men said, look, it's an ongoing struggle, difficulty for me in the areas of pornography and masturbation. So if two-thirds of my leaders are ticking that box, then I assume that it is kind of an issue. So Jesus, he wasn't hiding. He wasn't hiding away from this. You know, he comes in, bless you, bless you, and then he comes in with this stuff. Because he knows these are issues which are affecting us and challenging us. And uh, the reason why I wanted some of the young people back in here is because I want to have some good biblical teaching on this rather than some cultural teaching on this that says you've got to live like this, you've got to do that. My honest opinion is that the majority of children, especially 9, 10, 11-year-olds, are actively exposed to pornography. And uh, we can't live and bury our head under the sand and in the ground because we've just got to look at how we deal with this issue of the heart. Let's face it, let's stand up, let's be real, let's be a welcoming community, let's not look awful and disgusted and disapproving of everyone, but let's see this as a way through that we as a church community grow, not just in honesty, but in an understanding of the power of God that is at work in us and that can set us free from the lie of deception to say you'll never be free. And basically, that is how I will summarize in about an hour's time that we will be free and we can be free. In fact, biblically, we are already free. We just do not understand the freedom in which we're in. The problem is we're kind of feeding the appetite which stops us from being free. Uh, Reynold III, who was some uh, Belgian king for a while, he was, uh, his brother came to dispose of, or depose him and, and actually didn't kill his brother when he took over the reign. He put him into a prison cell, but there was no door on the prison cell. But he made the door, well, there was, a, there was a doorway, and the doorway was slightly smaller than what Reynold III could fit through. All he had to do was, Reynold was to lose weight. He was a large man, he liked his food. All he had to do was lose weight, he could have walked free. Every day he just sent up plate loads and plate loads of food. Reynold III never walked free from his prison cell. Why not? Because he just got, kept feeding his appetite. And the reality of the gospel is that there's no door. The doorway's been taken out. And we're living a lie to think that we'll never get free, where the gospel clearly says we've already got free. So when Paul talks to the church in Galatia, he says that it was also freedom that Christ has set us free, which is often we go, oh, what a great verse. Look, I'm free and wonderful. It's in the context of dealing with issues like issues of the flesh. You know, these issues. So you're free, so you no longer have to be obedient to what the demands of the flesh are telling you. You can now be obedient to another, and that is, the, that is God. Now, none of that is in my notes, but I'll carry on. They were totally for free. Okay, so I want us to be honest. Some of us ready to flip out the slightest thing, tense, agitated, wound up. And there'll be others of us who do have an issue uh, this morning, like with issues of pornography, fantasy, uh, who will be locked into shame because you shouldn't have this problem and you can't tell anyone because of fear and uh, you have no faith that you'll ever break free. I remember the time that I told someone of some of my difficulties. I remember the occasions that others have spoken to me over similar issues. I remember uh, and know the humiliation and the embarrassment that I went through and the awkwardness and the difficulty, but I also know the relief. And I also know of others who have sat with me and gone through that painful first discussion of breaking through humiliation and embarrassment and awkwardness and difficulty, but I've also seen relief in other people where they go, okay, okay, I can now move forward in my life together. 
And it isn't something we often talk about, but I do think it is something that we should be more open about. The problem is because it's wrecking people's lives. Okay? And the God the Father wants to set us free. The God the Father wants... The Spirit of God that's living inside us gives us a spirit of sonship so that we can know Abba, Father. The Spirit that is now living in us ultimately wants us to know our identity of forgiveness and knowing that we're now a child of God. But the Spirit of God's in us also enables us to be able to say no to some of this other stuff and to say yes to God. When we're dealing with stuff like anger, actually even on that whole sense of grace, you know, it's, it's, you know, people often don't realize that grace, it, 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 the grace to change you is stronger than pornography's power to destroy you. Now, there's a danger that grace becomes a topic that we discuss rather than something that we experience. It, it, God's grace gives us the ability to say no, Paul says. It, it, it also gives us the ability to say yes. Yes to him. Sometimes our misunderstanding of this whole theology, teaching of grace, is that you think it somehow it lowers your accountability or it gives license to sin. Actually, Jesus doesn't lower he actually raises, he increases the bar, he doesn't lower it. So in this passage we just read, Jesus said, don't murder. Jesus said, don't even get angry. He said, you know, he said of old, don't have sex with another man's wife or another woman's husband. I don't even want you looking at him or her and fantasize about what might be. See, both of these issues, anger and loss, are very much connected with about misdirected love. See, Jesus is just saying he wants you to align your love into the right place. Now, that might be more obvious in the whole issue of lust. You know, the previous pastor, the founder of King's Church, his pastoral line on this one is, you're married, stop it. That was kind of his pastoral words on this one. So it's obviously connected. But, but what about anger? Why is anger about misdirected love? Now, if you think back about the last time that you were angry, it might have been this morning, it might be on the journey here this morning, which many a parent might say, I remember those conversations. It might have been yesterday. It might have been when you were driving a car and someone cut you up. How did you react and how did you respond? And the question is, why am I getting so angry now? and Why am I getting so annoyed? And there's different reasons why we get angry and annoyed. Sometimes because we're wanting to deal with a threat. That driver is driving down the road. My, play, my kids are playing out in the street. And you want to defend your children, so you get angry because you're trying to defend you might get angry because you feel injustice. And so you see what uh, Boko Haram have been doing in Nigeria, and you see the atrocities of ISIS, or uh, Islamic State, especially over the weekend with the uh, tragedy of Alan Henning and what's happened with him. And you get angry because of the injustice that has taken place. But I reckon there's a huge amount of anger that goes on within our life because we are defending ourselves. It's the injustice that we feel that someone has spoken badly about me. And I tend to get more angry about what someone might have said about me than I do about what has happened to in, in, in Iraq and Nigeria. Because I find it personally offensive. And the problem is, dealing with anger is a lot about us and my ego and my pride and who I am, and that's why it's an issue of the heart. So we ask the question, why are we getting so angry? Where do we start? Well, we need to start, uh, you know, how do I feel when I'm misrepresented? How do I feel about being snubbed on social media? How do I feel about getting cut up in traffic? How dare they? How do I feel when I'm being unappreciated by a spouse? And when we start to analyze why we're feeling angry, we may start to feel a little bit embarrassed. Why? Because we realize we're not defending anyone but ourselves, and it's our, our ego, and it's our pride, and it's own self 
esteem. But in the kingdom, upside down kingdom that we want to be looking at in this whole teaching on Sermon on the Mount, our love affair should not be with ourselves, but our love affair should be with another. Ultimately, that's with Jesus, but that is going to be worked out on the ground with other people. So if your love is misplaced and if your love is misordered, then it's order, it's important to get it reordered. So when Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, he said this, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Jesus, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of the Spirit means anything of you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Okay, now this is right on the back of persecution. In the previous verses, uh, Paul is saying, look, in the context of standing firm in persecution and conflict, persecution and conflict, that's dealing with angry people. When you're dealing with angry people, if you've got anything out of following Jesus, then live like this. Firstly, agree with each other. <laughs> don't get overheated when people don't agree with you. You don't have to win. <laughs> you might be wrong. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Okay? Deep-spirited friends kind of overlook some of those shortfalls. Don't push your way to the front. Allow others the right way, even if it's not your way. Don't be a diva. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Don't look to say, look at me and my achievements. It's not about me. Uh, Paul said this, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Do things to benefit others. Give them the advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Be willing to be inconvenienced and be willing to be put out. I wrote that note the other day, and as soon as I wrote that into my note, somebody knocked on the door and interrupted me. I said, go away. (laughs) Just as I wrote, do not be, be willing to be inconvenienced and put out by people. Let your attitude be that of Christ, Paul goes on to say. That even at the point of greatest injustice, his response is one of love, Father, forgive. So when we're analyzing on a personal level, why do we get angry? Ask the question of why am I getting angry right now? Is it about injustice? Is it about defending? Or is it really about me defending my own ego, my own pride? And is it about me, just the injustice of what people might think about me and question it? Why? Because if we allow that to fester in our life, it will damage ultimately our relationship with God, not just with other people. Now, the second part of that little passage there, Paul goes on to talk about how you then deal with other people. So if you're offering a gift at the altar, like, you know, financial offering, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. Be reconciled. Jesus is saying, look, it's really important to to look for reconciliation. You know, so just as these buckets went round and you're passing them on, you suddenly go, oh, no, I've really offended someone. Jesus is saying, look, get up, leave it. Leave, leave, leave your bags, leave, your, leave everything here. Go and sort it out. The message translation actually even says, go, abandon your offering, leave it immediately. Make this a priority. Why? Because reconciliation is really important. So the question is, am I responsible for someone else's grudge against me? Well, if you are, then yes, it, you do all that you can to sort it out. If you've spoken out of turn, go and fix it. If you've spoken falsely, go and speak the truth. If you've been abrupt with someone, go and apologize. But am I responsible for someone else's grudge against me? If I'm not responsible, should I respond? Well, yes, Jesus says, still respond. Do all that you can to sort it out, okay? even if it's not your fault. See, people will hold things against you even when they shouldn't and even when it's not your fault, but we're to try and resolve those as much as we possibly can. Paul said this to the church in Rome, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, as far as it depends on you. So when dealing, if you cause someone to be angry with you, go and sort it out, okay? Go and get involved, try and sort it out, but you can't force them 
Okay, but at least you've taken every step in trying to work it out. Now, if I had longer, because I really want to get onto the second bit, if I had longer, I would be looking at how we need to resolve disputes in business or arguments in relationships, how we need to be swallowing our hurt pride and we need to apologize and we need to back down. Uh, in marriage breakdowns, where you are to blame, take the responsibility. Uh, even if the marriage is not recon- uh, in, in recoverable, still look for reconciliation. Even if the relationship's not able to be recovered. See, disputes might not be reconciled, relationships might not be restored, but before you come and worship, have the right heart attitude, because honestly, it means more than your money. That's what Jesus is teaching. So verse 27, uh, you've heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Jesus is talking about the radical measures that we need to be taking. Jesus was speaking to the people in the areas of sexual sin, and if 69% of the leaders that I polled the other day, I assume that it's a pretty good understanding that other people will be having difficulties in this area. It's a serious statement that was being made by Jesus. He wants us to wake up to the seriousness of the issue. Because in that survey of only a few people, there was young single guys and there was grandparents. See, sexual purity is not simply about not having sex with someone who is not your spouse. Sexual purity is about not wanting to have sex with someone who is not your spouse. It's not simply about the act of having sex. It's the desire. See, Jesus doesn't lower the bar, he actually raises the bar. From the physical act to the mental act to the intentions of your heart. So to achieve this serious standard, we need to have a serious strategy for fighting sexual sin. Jesus said, pull out your eye, chop off your hand. It's a powerful metaphor, not literal. (laughs) When tempted, Jesus is saying, act aggressively. Be radical. Every time. You're struggling, you need to get tough. Let's just be clear, because sexual sin, uh, pornography, fantasy, is just a lie. It promotes a lie. Sexual sin leads to brokenness, to sadness, to emptiness, to death. Sexual sin promises everything to the opposite. Righteousness, on the other hand, living right, leads to fullness, leads to joy, leads to peace, leads to life. So radical warfare against sexual sin leads to fullness of life. And I want to root this into an example. So if a number of my leaders, and I was involved in the survey, struggle in the whole area, for example, of pornography, How do we apply Jesus' teaching? Now, you could take these principles and apply it into other areas. But the problem is, we tend to get a bit too closed off and don't really talk about this. And I'm not wanting to be awkward. I'm not 
not wanting to be difficult. But I don't want us to be hypocritical either. Because hypocritical is saying, it's, yes, we shouldn't have this problem, and yet you live in a problem. Being hypocritical isn't saying, hey, I'm a Christian and I get it wrong. Being hypocritical is saying, I'm a Christian and I have no problems. See, when people look at pornography, and it isn't just a man thing. When we look at pornography, and it isn't just a young man thing. We have a desire, we have the time, and we have the access. Those are the three main areas that we need to tackle. See, no one looks at pornography without all these elements being together. Therefore, in order to fight to overcome it, we've got to take radical steps in order to eliminate each one. If people go, well, what's, what's wrong with pornography? Pornography is just an illusion of reality. It's not real. Fantasy, what, what's wrong with fantasy? Well, in fantasy, <laughs> the person never says no. That's not reality. The image that we can conjure up in our heads isn't the truth. Looking at pornography is at the end of a sequence of events. Break the sequence early and you break the addiction. You will not need to break the addiction. Let me just say, you will not break the addiction late at night on your own in front of a computer. So how do we deal with a desire? How do we change our heart? Well, the moment that you become aware of the desire, that very second, is the moment for radical measures. That moment. So it's repent immediately. Now, my own experience is that we repent later. When it's kind of... covered with a whole load of guilt and shame. It's repent immediately. As soon as you've had the thought, God, I am sorry that I'm having that thought. I repent of it. Repent immediately. Secondly is remember the Bible. Powerful, rep, uh, powerful weapon that can give victory. So we need to stockpile biblical truth. So later on in Philippians, Paul said this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever, if, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Load up on this sort of stuff. You know, so rather than loading up on the stuff which is going to be bad for you and unhealthy and is going to feed the appetite and the difficulty, load yourself up on the good stuff. Remember the Bible. So repent immediately, remember the Bible, and reach out for help. See, we're not designed to fight this on our own. The thing is, calling reinforcements is a really good thing. So a little bit earlier, and I've just mentioned in the Philippians passage, prior to that, your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. Paul has said this, Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Side by side. Now, the, the, the image is actually one of warfare. Jez would like this because it's kind of like Roman soldier stuff. You know, it, it, em, emperor, emperor series. Remember the emperor series? Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> I, I sat down with someone the other day and they were reading the Kindle, so I just looked, oh, what are you reading? And the top line was just like, you didn't want me to read that line, did you? It's just like one of those most awkward moments for him because here's the church pastor leading, oh, what are you reading? Okay, because he was reading the emperor series and there's one line in the emperor series that didn't help. Okay, but... Um, 
and it just happened to be at the top of the page that I read. So they went, oh, my word, the pastor of the church has just read this. Okay, so uh, the emperor, uh, the Roman thing, is that we stand side by side. Okay, so it's like locked in. We've got shields locked in. We've got shields above us. It's kind of like this garrison locked in. And when we stand side by side, it kind of becomes unpenetrable. But when we're out there on our own, we're very vulnerable. So Paul's teaching in this is that, you know, get alongside people who you trust. Okay, have people. If you are honest in this and you have some issues of difficulty, the thing is, get people around you who you can call for help. Yeah? Phone a friend. The problem is, though, that our heads go into overdrive to go, if I confess this, if I say this, if I reveal this, then how is that person going to react? Are they going to look and go, get away from me? And, well, that's an issue. Or my reputation. My reputation, if I say this, but they think this of me. Guess that's pride. But, but I can't let them know. Why? Because, well, it might be vulnerable, and they might reject me, or I might lose credibility, or what? guess what? It doesn't really matter, because the problem is, if you don't get rid of it, it later on, you know, Jesus said this, look, if you don't cut it off, then it's kind of going to, in effect, it's going to affect the rest of your body. Be like cancer. If you don't cut it out, then it's just going to come through the body. And in order to help that, you need to kind of go to people who are going to help you out on that one. Now, can I just recommend very practically on this one that sometimes your wife isn't, if it's a, your wife isn't always the best person. Because they will come and, they could be really hurt by you saying, hey, I have this real problem. Now, you might go, no, he's the right person. I've just got to have integrity. I've just got, you know, it's fine. But can I just say that sometimes it's finding a trusted friend who can help you work through this and work it through together. And also, I would just use the illustration, wives, don't go up to your husband and say, are you one of those 69%? Because I'll pretty much guarantee that they'll say no. And then you've closed them down the opportunity to get free in Christ. Because the issue with guilt and the issue with shame is that it keeps you locked in, hidden, in the darkness. It's the nature of sin. Just keep stuff in the dark. The problem is you've got to expose it to the light. And suddenly when you realise it's in the light, wow, what was all that about? I remember Don, I mentioned him before, he, he, he just used this illustration one time. He said, in the darkness, it, behind the door, it looks like a monster. But in the daytime, it's just a jacket on the hook. It's just a coat. It's a monster in the darkness. In the daylight, it's nothing. Expose it to the light. Let's deal with it for what it is. So wives or husbands, don't go up and say, are you one of those percentage? Also, I know it's hugely stereotypical, but men and women do think differently as well. Not not 100%. I know that I compartmentalize stuff in my head. I have this little box in my head called the nothing box. I I can do nothing. My wife cannot understand that concept. How can you not do anything? I go to my nothing room. Okay, But also I have... Yeah, I can see wives looking now. Okay, it's all right. I'm authorizing you to have the nothing room in your life. What are you doing? Nothing. Oh. Well, isn't that a waste of time? It's like, no. I enjoy my nothing room. Okay, just nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. Well, you must be thinking about something. I'm not. Okay. You also have this thing about compartmentalizing things. You have this other box over here. You have your wife and your relationship. You have this other box over here. And you go, here's my sexual sin going on, and the two don't mix. Okay. And you can put them in different boxes. 
Now, uh, how, you know, so if, if a man's head is kind of like lots of compartments, what is a woman's head like? Uh, okay, I'm running out of time. Okay. Uh, uh, wire wool. Okay. Wire wool. Because lots of women's heads will all be connected. Everything. Everything. So how I spoke to my wife four years ago will reflect how I speak to her tomorrow. Why? Because it's all one big jumbled up mess of confusion that I can't understand. Okay? Well, she does. She gets it. It's all connected. Now, I have a nothing box. She doesn't have a nothing box. She can't have a nothing box. It doesn't exist there, nothing box, because everything is it's all connected. Now, I'm just trying to explain a little bit of difference in there why a man can be doing this without, you know, and the problem is the woman goes, but you have this problem and you told me and now it's really affecting me and I'm genuinely very upset and let down that you could be thinking like that, whereas man goes, I just put it in another box. So that's why sometimes I recommend, and I would say, that actually find someone you can trust who's good for you, who can hold you to account. So reach out for help. See, sin loves the darkness and it presents a very attractive excuses of why you shouldn't face up to it. Shame, embarrassment, rejection. Expose it to the light. Be honest. Find a friend. Let them hold you to account. It's how you deal with the heart. So if you have a problem, if, if, actually the next one is about, could, Jesus said, cut out your eye or cut off your limb. Okay, so what do we need to cut out of our life? Cut out time. Find the time when you are most vulnerable. Identify it. Because our recommendation, my, not recommendation, my suggestion is that you will only view pornography when you are alone. Okay? If your wife is with you in the room, you probably won't be looking at it. It's only when, for example, your wife leaves you, you have the opportunity. Now, I'm saying wife, it could equally be husband. Therefore, need to limit the time that you're alone. Be honest with the difficult times. If your spouse goes to bed early, go to bed early with them. Because once they're gone, that's vulnerable. Go to bed at the same time, even if you're not tired. If you live on your own, where and when are you at your most vulnerable? If it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, ask your buddy to phone you at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Be honest. If you have a danger time, let people know when that is. So you cut out the time, you also need to cut out or cut off the access or availability. See, radical measures mean being radical, going further than you think that you need to. It's about eliminating. It's not about simply limiting. So we just do little measures, it's not going to be enough. Simply eliminate access for pornography. Where do you access it from? I guess mostly today it would be through downloads, TV, internet, or friends supply it. Uh, DVDs, movies, live streaming, Netflix, whatever. So what do you need to do to employ a radical measure? Well, you need to hand over your TVs. You need to give up your computers. You need to get rid of handheld devices and mobile phones. I joke with them, it's easy on the way over. I'm going to have a little box at the end for iPhones. Particularly the iPhone 6, if anyone wants to. And I will deal with it appropriately. Uh, radical measures is about taking steps like that. 
some of you have them going through kind of illness and cancer. You need to take radical steps, don't you? You, you, you don't do a little bit. If you've been diagnosed with a lump in the breast, you don't leave a little bit. You take radical measures. Jesus is saying, look, be radical. Can I just say, because this is my opportunity, parents, please talk this through with your children and create a strategy. I pretty much guarantee that your child has seen pornographic images by the age of 10 or 11. By the age of 16, the statistics say that 60% have been asked to send an explicit sexual image via social media, and 40% of them have done so. Of those 40%, a fifth of them have been to complete strangers. As a parent, we need to have conversations. And sometimes they are uncomfortable, and sometimes your child will say they hate you, and none of their friends. It was the biggest mistake I made as a parent. Pretty much bar none, was to get full internet access and 3G access and all that lot on my children's phones. So at that point, I lost the battle. For, no, we lost the skirmish. We didn't lose the battle. So we need to make good decisions. If you're a child or if you're a young person, you need to have sensible conversations with parents because it's for your good. Now, when I'm doing this talk in a few weeks' time in Eastbourne, my son is going to stand alongside me and he's going to do this bit of the teaching because I want him now, who's 18, to come in and say, look, I didn't always appreciate these measures, but I really see the benefit of them. It's about accountability. It's about having unlimited access on the phone. It's about being friends on Facebook with them, not hiding. It's about not having the computer in the bedroom. It's about having, it's about having like your router. I'm, I'm so surprised that all the internet providers had to put in a filter to stop, to stop porn getting through. And only 20% of parents have actually applied this onto their system. Parents, please. Children, young people, please talk. Spouses and accountability, give permission for spot checks. If you live alone, get a flatmate, an appropriate flatmate. What about when you're out and about, when you travel? What about those Netflix accounts or television in your rooms if you stay in hotels? What about your computer? What about your iPhones? Put others to put restrictions on. There's no point you putting the restriction on. Why? Because you will unrestrict it. Put passwords on or get people to put passwords on. Download the filters. Install the accountability software, xxxchurch.com. Or there's an app on iPhones and other platforms, x3watch. It just routes stuff through filters. You can change iPhone settings. You can change them to restrict access to inappropriate content, which are going to pull you down. And ultimately, you can get rid you do not need an electronic device in your life, but you do need to be holy. What will I do with my iPhone? What will I do? How will I text people? How will I update social media? How can I tell my parents what I've been doing with my computer? These are the implications and the cons- consequences of you taking this seriously. Why did Jesus command amputation? So that your relationship with him ultimately wouldn't be broken. 
Do we fully grasp the seriousness of a sin? If we do nothing, it will eventually take over our lives and it will kill us. You may not have to employ all of these tactics, but talk it through. These measures may be inconvenient and it will be costly. Removing a limb isn't fun, (laughs) but you do it in order to survive. You can't keep the limb and live. It's a case of life and death. It is an issue of the heart, because whatever measures you put in, there's ways of getting around those measures. So ultimately, if we don't deal with that at the core, then there will always be a way of feeding. So we need to have new ways of thinking. New kind of thinking must be learned. So guard your heads and your minds, Paul said, and whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So as much as reasonably possible, avoid things that are unhelpful. Uh, Paul said this to Timothy, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Remember, there's a young guy over in Eastbourne who uh, went back to, uh, when he was a student at university, went back to a house, and uh, the woman in the house started to take her clothes off, and at that point he ran out of the house. A bit like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Flee. Say no within five seconds. <laughs> Beyond five seconds, you lose. There's eagles in Canada when the spring starts to melt. Ice drops into the river. It goes down towards the waterfalls. And uh, eagles come and land on it and enjoy the sunshine. The problem is their talons get frozen into the ice blocks. And when it comes to going over the edge, the eagles can't get off the ice block because they're now frozen to it. We can come in and we land. Issues, temptations, images. But we can't stop. But we can stop sticking around. Five second rule. Turn from the desire, turn to Christ. Go from defense to attack. Fight the promises of the lie with the promises of truth. Hold your ground. Don't give in too soon. Battle for the mind. So battle hard. Battle till you win. Enjoy life. Lust begins when other things loses their appeal. So what are you doing in order to generate your appeal in where your passions should be? either in a relationship, husband-wife, or ultimately in Jesus. Awaken your affection, look to enjoy, be satisfied, and then move to do something, and do something productively. So as a church community, I want us to be real. I want us to be honest, vulnerable, and accountable. We will not experience dramatic change in our struggle as long as we simply use accountability to simply describe our weakness and sin instead of declaring our need to, I need help in the midst of this temptation. We need to be repentant. We need to stop talking ourselves into categories of condemnation and begin talking to uh, God into categories of confession. We need to be saying sorry to others and to God. We need to be forgiven. We need to take hold of God's forgiving and transforming grace. We need to be biblical. The great danger in our struggle is that we devote our energy to thinking the wrong thing and spend no time dwelling on the true and wonderful things about Jesus. Every strategy we employ in our fight must be grounded in the grace of God in Christ if it is to lead us to lasting freedom. 
So the power of Jesus has the ability to break sin, to break anger, to break pornography, to break addiction. Jesus' grace to change you is stronger than sin's power to destroy you. I want us to be real. The struggles I've been talking about, what's the point of me standing up as a church leader to say, hey, I've got it all sorted? But I want to stand arm in arm, linked together. So if I was to stumble, Jez is there saying, come on, Graham, on your feet. Come on. Keep fighting. Keep going. Come on. Stand firm. You can do this. Come on. Rather than falling on their own and people saying, I knew nothing about that. At the end of the Second World War in the concentration camps, the Nazi Germans had vacated completely the concentration, one of the concentration camps and left the doors wide open. But when the Liberation Army came a few days later, they went in and found every inmate still in the prison. The doors and gates were wide open. What they didn't realize was that they were free. They just didn't know the freedom that had already been given. They were being held by a lie. I want us to break that lie. I want us to stop hiding behind hypocrisy. To stand up, to face it, to go forward, and to find the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Cause you to be hugely vulnerable. I understand that. But the liberty and the joy that can be experienced and the freedom to be able to worship God is amazing. Come on, Ollie. I think we've got time. Can we squeeze a song in? Or not? Yeah, he's nodding. 41 minutes. Sorry. That was a little bit over. Okay. Not quite 48 minutes. I said it was a sermon of two halves. I should have preached it over two weeks. But I want us to sing that song. We did that just as we ended. All right. Okay. Well, let's just pray. God, I want to thank you. There's people here right now, if anything like me, who will be living to the deception and to the lie. Who will say, I will never get free, I can never get free, I can never be honest, I can never be open because I'll either get rejected or humiliated or thrown out. I want to speak against that lie of the enemy and the deception and to say that in the gospel it's the grace to overcome all those things. Thank you that you give us the power to say no and you give us the power to say yes. That those things, your power is greater than any of those addictions, issues, problems that we face in our life. God, I pray for anyone who is subjecting themselves to the lie of Satan right now to say that they will never walk free will come to realize that the gates are wide open and that they can walk free right now. Pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.